0: 2020 is clearly an election year like no other, a politically divided country, uncertainty about foreign influences and worries about the Postal Service's
1: capacity. There definitely are threats to election security. At the same time, it's really important to recognize that, like, this isn't the doomsday scenario yet. Um, These are a lot of low probability but high impact problems.
0: Cybersecurity expert Betsy Cooper is here to keep things realistic. Cooper is the founding director of the Aspen Tech Policy Hub, which is a policy incubator training a new generation of tech policy entrepreneurs.
1: The idea that the election will be contested is not the same thing as saying that there will be a crisis of democracy and that we will end up with an illegitimate situation. And if we all stay calm about that, then we can have open and honest conversations about any problems that do arise.
0: From the Aspen Institute, I'm Amina Akhtar. This is Aspen Insight. Election security can be an incredibly overwhelming topic. I asked Betsy how she break it down for someone who may be doomsday scrolling about
1: possible scenarios. So I think the first thing I would tell someone, a voter who's not familiar with this subject is let's not overemphasize the threat. And so we should still prepare for them, but we also shouldn't assume that that necessarily means that our elections are definitely going to be insecure and that we shouldn't trust them. So, um, so I think laying that groundwork first is really important. Um, in terms of the top types of threats you can see, First, there's threats to election systems themselves. So this would be the actual uh, voting machines, uh, manipulations of ballots, those types of things. Those are very rare and they're hard to execute because every state has different election systems. And so it's not all that easy to affect uh, those uh, things at scale. But if you pick a particular state or a particular part of a state, that has, uh, you know, great possibility of influencing the election and you were to target that, it's at least possible that you could affect the outcome of the election. Uh, The second type of key threat would be sort of misinformation, disinformation. Uh, That's really using uh, information about the election to try to skew someone's uh, perceptions so that they vote in a certain way. And then I think, you know, there's also election security questions just around our overall trust in the election system, which is why I emphasized up front the need to have uh, a belief in our system, Uh, because uh, if you sow confusion around election security, you can create a self-fulfilling prophecy Where no matter who wins and loses, the loser will assume that the correct outcome hasn't happened. And so that could lead to court cases, that can lead to all sorts of uh, negative outcomes as well. So I think those are the three biggest buckets that I would point to. The president
0: said that mail-in voting gives way to voter fraud. What do you think of that?
1: The most important thing to remember is that when you mail in ballots, they're all individually mailed and very hard to individually manipulate. So uh, try to imagine a single ballot that's running through the mail system and try to imagine yourself how would you get that ballot open, change the results on it, seal it back up, like it's really hard, right? Um, now try to imagine that you have to do that at scale because, of course, generally, unless you know, it's a really strange election, one vote isn't going to matter. It's going to be thousands or ten thousands of votes. So, so on its face, the idea that mail-in ballots are particularly insecure just doesn't ring true to me. You, in order to affect the election, you need to be able to affect it at scale. And it is very hard at scale to affect mail-in ballots. Now, does that mean that every single mail-in ballot uh, is accurate? No. Um, Does it mean that there can't be problems, for instance, if people are convinced that, as the President indicated, maybe they're worried that their mail-in ballot didn't count and so they go to try to vote again, that can create issues where you have double voting, for instance. But uh, at scale, it's really hard to imagine mail-in ballots being the source of significant amounts of fraud. And even if there were occasional issues, that that would be likely to tip the results of the overall U.S. presidential election.
0: There's a lot of vote a month early, get your ballots in, who knows what's going to happen to the USPS. How stressed and how Fearful should we actually be compared to all the sort of talk that's going on right now online about getting your vote in early?
1: Here's what I would say if you're a voter um, I think it's perfectly fine to use a mail in ballot. I think you need to send it early um, in order to make sure that it gets to the right place at the right time. If you have a Dropbox, use a Dropbox. I think that those are incredibly secure, uh, very hard to manipulate. They collect the ballots really frequently and it has the benefit that allows the election officials to count over time if the state allows it. So that's really helpful. Um, And so I would just focus on, you know, thinking about your ballot as a child that you're trying to take care of and you take precautions to get it where it needs to go and then I wouldn't worry too much about it. You know, it's going to grow up and, uh, and do what it needs to do for our democracy. So I, uh, I would be cautious, but I wouldn't be the obsessive parent when it comes to the ballot delivery.
0: Policy-wise, is there anything Congress could pass that will make a difference for uh, voting in, say, all 50 states?
1: So uh, I believe constitutionally, the election process is left to the states. So it's very hard for the federal government to get involved. The Department of Homeland Security has done some work to try to improve election security, setting standards, providing resources, things like that. Um, and so it's not to say that executive agencies can't do anything But um, I don't see Congress getting deeply involved in these questions precisely because uh, anything that they would do could affect their elections as well. And so there's a bit of a possible conflict of interest problem. Um, That's what makes policy in this space so hard. But I actually want to emphasize that that can be a benefit, too. So I think if we standardized election processes across the United States, on the one hand, maybe you would be able to strengthen some of the weaknesses in some states that I was pointing to a second ago. But you also would then create one set of procedures that adversaries could look to try to manipulate. And so if everyone used the same voting system, it might enable uh, folks to concentrate on finding a vulnerability in that single system and then execute it at scale. So in some ways, the disaggregation of the U.S. system is actually one of the things that's best protecting us. Uh, So uh, one of those unintended consequences, I guess you couldn't have imagined. Do you have any examples
0: of states you think are doing the best job of getting ready for the election and maybe states
1: who aren't doing as good of a job? So the states that are most problematic in this space are ones that have electronic voting systems without paper backups. So let's break that down for a second. So first, an electronic voting system is basically a computer that's counting your vote. So you go in, you use some form of a computer, it tabulates your vote and sends it off uh, to a particular place. And that can help process electoral results fought faster than paper ballots, for instance. Um, and it's not subject to some of the issues that we saw in the 2000 election, like hanging chads or, you know, uh, whether or not you filled out a bubble a particular way. So it has some advantages. The problem comes when you try to verify the results of uh, those electronic ballots. So for, imagine you go into the voting booth and you vote for John Smith. Well, how do you know that your vote was actually not counted for Jane Doe? Um, You may have no way of knowing unless there is a printout record that coincides with what you actually voted. And even better that you get to see that, not just that the election officials get to see that. So it's really important to have paper validation of electronic ballots, and not every state has that, which makes it difficult to know if somebody challenges the results of an election as being fraudulent or otherwise manipulated, how will you be able to verify uh, responding to that? And so that, I think, is a key area um, that needs a lot of improvement. I also think that most election officials still believe that paper is the safest form of, uh, of balloting. And so the states that don't have any form of paper, uh, those are the ones that I would be most concerned about.
0: What foreign security threats are we currently seeing take shape and how are they similar or different from 2016 and 2018
1: elections? Uh, What I'm hearing, and of course, uh, you know, I'm not in the intelligence agencies, so all I have is the public information that we all have. Uh, The same countries that are interested in the results of our election are interested again. Uh, Obviously, there's been a lot of reporting that Russia has been deeply involved in uh, pushing forward. Uh, you know, misinformation and, you know, there's indications that they're interested in changing the results of the election. Unclear whether they have the ability to actually uh, have that effect. Um, China is an increasingly interested actor, Um, a little bit more mixed as to what outcome they actually want. You know, one of the things that's most important here is that sometimes it's not clear that the actors are actively seeking a particular outcome so much as they are seeking to thread chaos throughout the process. And so that's actually even harder in some ways for our officials to combat because if your goal isn't to elevate one candidate, if your goal is actually just to create uncertainty in the election, you don't need to get a particular set of votes or get a a particular set of outcomes. You just need to undermine confidence in the process. And so uh, unfortunately, I think it's becoming clear that there are vulnerabilities in the process and we're talking a lot about them, but that feeds into uh, an ethos that heading into November, there's not a lot of confidence in the population itself about how it's gonna work out. And so um, regardless of whether foreign actors are succeeding in elevating a particular candidate, I think it's clear that we are in a place where already long before you know the results are ever, released, there's a doubt about the validity of our electoral process, and that's a hard place to be in.
0: What are the different possible scenarios for election night, say, if there are ballot irregularities or legal challenges?
1: So first, I think we need to be prepared that we're not going to know on election night. Um, And I want to remind everyone we didn't know on election night in 2016 either and, you know, we all survived. But so I, I do think that we need to prepare ourselves mentally that this isn't going to look like past election nights, no matter what happens, there will be more mail-in ballots than we've ever dealt with in jurisdictions that aren't used to dealing with mail-in ballots. So even if there everything else runs perfectly, that's going to create a backlog. And it's really hard to count, uh, you know, ballots delivered by paper at scale. So like, Let's just assume that we're not going to have the immediate results that we're looking for. Um, We should also assume that if the polling trends are correct, Republicans are more likely to vote in person, Democrats more likely to vote by mail, which may mean that Republicans take a lead early and that lead may not be sustained as the mail-in ballots get counted. So, we should be prepared for shifts that early trends do not necessarily re- represent final trends, although it'll depend in part on whether mail-in ballots can be opened in advance or not, and state rules differ on that. So, uh, so you're gonna need basically a bingo card to keep track of all these different uh, uh, pieces. Um, I am of the opinion that there will likely be a legal challenge either way, that both sides are prepping. Uh, for the possibility that there will be a very tight race. And so unless it is disproportionately clear for one candidate or the other, I think we'll expect legal challenges. I don't think that those will be filed immediately. Uh, So again, I think we're in it for the long haul. So I think we should see this as an election season, not as an election night, and expect that uh, there will be twists and turns along the way, not dissimilar to what happened with Bush v. Gore in, 20, uh, in 2000. So,
0: As somebody who's immersed in this topic and um, just the current news that comes out with it every day, how do
1: you stay calm how do you not let the stress get to you (laughs) i would focus on your own state and your own ballot doesn't really matter what happens in other states what matters is that your ballot gets where it needs to go and that it's counted correctly so making sure you understand the rules um does your mail-in ballot need to arrive by a certain date and if so when have you received it on time you know um Where is your polling place? And do you know where to go uh, on election day? Do you have early voting available to you in your state? Um, Some states do, and that can be a great way to make sure your ballot gets counted in person. Make sure to prepare for the COVID effects of all these things, you know, bring your mask, make sure that you have water so that you can stay cool if you have to stand in a long line. Like these are all aspects of the process. and then I would just focus on the fact that, you know, we have the strongest democracy in the world and that we've dealt with a lot of crises over our history. And so while this may feel like a pivotal moment, uh, I also think that it's a moment in which our strengths should come forward as much as our weaknesses. And so uh, so I guess I, I don't have too much trouble sleeping at night, at least not for that reason. Um, I, I just hope that we can stay realistic about the low likelihood of uh, the worst case effects. And if we all stay calm about that, then we can have open and honest conversations about any problems that do arise. Is there anything you'd like to add that I might've missed? We don't need to assume that the system is set in stone. And I think if there's one thing that I can encourage the listening body to do, it's, you may not be able to fix this election, but if you're unhappy with the way this works, then get involved in policy and make a statement to change for the future. So if you think that it's unfair that your state doesn't have paper backups to the electronic voting records, Then say something, write a letter to the appropriate state representatives. Uh, Learn how to get involved in public commentary about these things. Write an op-ed, publish something on the internet, tweet, do something about it. Don't just sit there and uh, accept that this is the way things have to be. To learn
0: more about the Aspen Tech Policy Hub, follow at Aspen Policy Hub on Twitter. Thank you to my colleagues who made this episode possible. Christina Ciccone, the Aspen Tech Policy Hub, Betsy Cooper, and Betsy Cooper's firstborn child. Just a day after she conducted this interview, Cooper gave birth to a beautiful, healthy baby. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and follow at Aspen Institute on Twitter and Instagram to stay up to date with our work. Thanks for listening.